that's 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 hurtful. That is hurtful. You hear what she just said? All right, well, we're gonna press on. The show must go on. I'm gonna ask you these questions anyway. Rapid fire, just kind of like first thing that comes to mind. When you think about IBC, what's the first word that comes to mind? Big church. Big church. Okay, do you like my shirt? No. Okay, okay, tough crowd. All right, all right. Um, besides hanging out with me, what's your like favorite thing to do on the weekends? Not hanging out with you. Okay, all right. This is going just so great. Uh, one word that comes to mind when you think about Chad. There he is. I was going to say sea animals. I got that. I'm rocking the narwhals today. You see, you need to get a close up on the narwhals. We need to get that. Yeah, there. Uh, thanks for being willing to answer my questions. Like I said, I had a group over here that uh, I walked towards and they all just kind of scattered and ran away. So I appreciate you. Ran away too. You tried to, I mean, but we, we got you. So thank you. If you could travel anywhere in the world, where do you want to go? To Ohio. Ohio. Anywhere in the world, you're picking Ohio. Why Ohio? Because I just like it. You just like it. Have you been there before? No. No? Okay. All right. We actually like each other, so that helps. You like me or you like each other? Each other. Oh, we love you. Yeah, you're Thanks. Great. I appreciate that. Oh, man. Okay. Aside from Isaac, who's your favorite person on staff? Not you. Oh! Oh! Of course. There we go. All right. All right. You're making you're making up for it. You know, a second ago. If Jesus was standing right here with us, having a conversation, sipping on a, a cup of coffee or, or tea, what's the one question that you would want to ask? I don't know. That's too deep. It is early still. I have to get up so early this you're morning. Like Jesus has his coffee. I didn't have my coffee yet. Like, when are you coming back? That's what I would ask. When are you coming back? When are you coming? When are you coming back? When are you coming back? When are you coming back? Well, I say, why do, why do people get cancer? When he comes back, when we're in heaven, will our deformities be apparent? Because those were the things that may have brought us to him in the first place. Probably when is he coming back? When are you coming back? That's a good question. If Jesus was here with us and you could ask him any question that you wanted to, what question would you ask? Um, where's my phone? Because I lost my phone. Where's my phone? Because I, I like it. I think that's a fantastic question. So as you've heard this morning, we come to Jesus with lots of questions. Questions like, where's my phone? But we also want to pay attention to the questions that Jesus asks. So that's what we're going to be doing this morning. Well, good morning. My name's Craig. Thanks for being here. I've added two destinations to my bucket list. One, I want to be at youth camp with you guys because your energy, uh, I love it. And two, Ohio, I guess. I've never been to Ohio, but I guess it's good. Um, listen, thanks for being here on this holiday weekend. Monday, we celebrate Juneteenth, this significant day of freedom in the life of our country. And today, we get to celebrate Father's Day. So happy Father's Day to all the dads in the room. If my grandchildren are watching, happy Pop-Pop Day to me. Um, one of my greatest joys in life has been to be a dad to my three sons and a Pop-Pop to my three grandchildren, soon to be four grandchildren. I have one do any, not me do, but it may look like it, but there is a grandson coming in just any day now down in San Antonio. So little George, we can't wait to meet you and um, 
I do want to tell you one thing, be the first to tell you this, because you're going to hear something different from your cousins and your Kiki probably, but I, as your pop-up, am in fact cooler and funner than your Kiki could ever think of being. So <laughs> you heard it from me first. Well, a couple of months ago, Kathy and I went out to California for a work uh, conference, and every time we go to California, which is pretty often because we have some kids that live in California, we get to the rental car uh, counter, and Kathy will lean over to me and say, I hope you rented a convertible. It would be so fun to drive a convertible here in California. And she knows that's not happening. I'm very, very cheap, and so I always rent the <laughs> sub-subcompact car, right? The smallest car, it always ends up looking like a jelly bean with a couple of wheels attached to it. And so, uh, but this time, we were only gonna be there for three days, and I thought, you know what, I'm gonna surprise her. I'm gonna rent us a convertible. So I go online, I rent the convertible, about a week before the conference, I get an email from the conference people that says, um, hey, you're coming to California, you're probably expecting great weather, we just wanna give you a heads up, it's gonna be cold and rainy and drizzly, and so dress accordingly. And I thought, well, well shoot, man, there, there blows my whole surprise of a convertible, nobody wants a convertible in rain and cold and drizzly, so I went back online to go back to the jelly bean car, and as I got there, an option popped up that I had never seen before. They were offering to rent a Tesla, an electric vehicle. Now, I have never driven a Tesla. I've never even been inside a Tesla. So I thought, this will be amazing because I've seen the ads, right? You've seen the ads of what it's like to drive in an electric vehicle. Apparently, it will transform your life. If you watch uh, the Super Bowl, you may have seen the, the Jeep, 4XE, I think it's called, that commercial where they hop in the Jeep, it's an electric Jeep, and they flip on the radio, and it's Boogie Woogie by Shaggy, and they're going through the savannah, and, and all the reptiles are kind of doing the dance with it, and the ostriches are running beside the car, and there's a goat in the passenger seat, and it's got its head hanging out the window, and its ears are flapping, and they're just having the best time. I thought, this will bring my life to a whole nother level, and so I rent the Tesla. So we get to California, I go to the Avis counter, and the guy hands me a credit card that has a Tesla emblem on it and says, here's your key, your car's in slot five. And he didn't give me any instructions. He didn't ask me if I had ever driven an electric vehicle, so I thought, okay, there's people behind him, I don't wanna you know, look like I don't know what I'm doing, so I just, we walked over to the car, and I thought, this is apparently so simple, they don't need to tell you anything. <laughs> so I get in the car, and there's no button to push to start the car. I thought, how do I start this car? So I'm looking for a slot for that little credit card thing. There's no slot in the car. I thought, well, maybe this is like a tap and pay, like you see at the grocery store. So I start tapping things. I'm tapping the steering wheel. I'm tapping the, the console. I'm tapping everything I know to tap. I'm tapping, and finally I'm tapped out. It's just not working. And so Kathy goes to Google and realizes that there is a place you have to set it and you push the brake. But we ended up stuck in that parking lot for about 25 minutes because I was not about to go back to the counter and have to turn in my man card to ask for instructions on how to start this vehicle. So that didn't happen. So, but we got off to a rough start. We're on the freeway now. We're headed out. I'm thinking now the adventure is going to begin. And we're no, longer, we're no more on the freeway for than maybe two minutes and it just starts pouring down rain. Now, in my car, when it starts raining, the windshield wipers just come on automatically. And, and I drive a Chevy. So I'm thinking in a Tesla, not only are they gonna come on automatically, there's gonna be people come out and start wiping down the car. <laughs> but nothing happens. 
the windshield wipers don't come on and it's just pouring. I can't see. And so Kathy's frantic because we're on the freeway and she's pushing things on the screen and I'm looking for the windshield icon. I can't find it. I finally find something that looks like it might be it. I push it. It squirts some soap on the windshield (laughs) and then it does one quick swipe. And so I'm like this trying to see where we're at. So I have to push it again. Soap, one quick swipe. And I'm like this. So finally I said, look, we need to phone a friend. So I have a friend here that has a Tesla. So I call him, I say, Scott, how do you get the windshield wipers on? He walks me through it. We get them on, a little frustrating, but we're off again. And the rain ends up stopping in about five minutes. I don't know how to turn the windshield wipers off. So we just leave them on. It's bright and sunny outside. Kathy thought it was funny. So she snapped a picture of me to show my frustration in the middle of that. And then we get off and we look for a place to eat and I don't know how to turn the car off. (laughs) So we Google it. Apparently you just get out and walk away from the car. So that's what we did. We get out, the windshield wipers going, the radio's going, everything's going. And we just walk away like, I hope that thing shuts down. And I guess it did because when we came back, it was turned off (laughs) and it was still there. And, um, and that's the way our three days went with that car. It was not at all what I was expecting. The last day we had to get it recharged. And so I'd seen some charging stations at the mall. I wait in line. There's only two of them. I get to it. I pull out the cord. It doesn't fit the car. It won't go into the plug. So again, I smile at the people behind me like I know what I'm doing. I put it back like I've done it and I leave and I drive across to the 7-Eleven, swipe my credit card there, try it again. That doesn't fit. So I called my friend again and he said, oh yeah, uh, you have an adapter in the trunk probably. You need to use that. I was like, that would have been nice if somebody would have told me that. So I pull over, there's no adapter in the trunk. I call him again. By this time, he's just saying, what's the problem? When, I, when he picks up the phone and I said, there's no adapter. He said, okay, you'll have to find a Tesla charging station. Um, you can Google that. So that's what I did. I found one. And as I'm sitting there in the car, getting it charged, I thought, Avis, if you will just come pick this car up, I will take that jelly bean. I will be content and happy in a jelly bean for the rest of my life because it was not the experience that I thought that it would be. It was not what I had anticipated. It was not what I was expecting. And I just thought, you know what? Life can work that way as well, can it? You can be going along thinking everything is great in your life. You are living the abundant life that Jesus talks about. Ostriches are running beside the car. Goats are hanging out the window. The music's playing boogie woogie. And then something happens. Real life happens. And now you're here this morning and some of you probably barely got here because you're discouraged and you're tired and you're worn out because life has done a number on you. Maybe you feel like you've just gotten stuck. Stuck in that relationship, stuck in that marriage, stuck in that job, stuck in your spiritual development. And you're sitting in the car and you're trying to tap that card to get things going again. And you're tapping all over the place. You've tried self-help books. You've tried, you know, changing jobs and setting relational boundaries. Maybe you've resorted to alcohol or to binge watching Netflix or to some other addiction to numb the pain. And frankly, you're tapped out and you just feel stuck. Some of you have taken off down a journey that's exciting and the the storm comes and you weren't, you didn't see that storm coming. 
that diagnosis that you weren't expecting, that job situation or lack of a job altogether, the failing marriage, the child who's struggling and you can't do anything to fix it, that aging parent who needs more time than you could possibly give them. Surely you can figure this out yourself and you're pushing the wiper button and the soap's coming and you're getting a little view but then all of a sudden it's, it clouds up again and you feel lost and you feel afraid. And then for some of you, you're just exhausted. You need a recharge. You have prayed for peace and healing and refreshment but you just don't seem to be able to make the connection. The cord's not fitting. There's no adapter in the trunk. And we get frustrated and impatient and angry at the way life has treated us, which then often leads to some resentment and some bitterness. And then worst of all, we begin to lose hope. And I believe there's some of you here that are in that place this morning. And I want you to know that I've been praying for you, praying that this message today would open your eyes, would awaken your heart to the hope and the healing that God offers to everyone here today. That you will leave here knowing that just one touch from Jesus, just one moment in the presence of our King can change everything for you in an instant. See, our story this, man, this morning is about a man who probably felt many of those same emotions that you felt. I think he was running on empty. The word hope had left his vocabulary years ago. But then Jesus shows up and everything changes. Let's see what happens. It's John chapter five, beginning in verse one. It says, sometime later, Jesus went to Jerusalem for one of the Jewish festivals. Now, there is in Jerusalem near the Sheep Gate a pool, which in Aramaic is called Bethesda, and which is surrounded by five covered colonnades. Here, a great number of disabled people used to lie, the blind, the lame, the paralyzed. And now, verse four, if you're looking in your actual Bible, you'll probably notice is not there. It may be as a footnote, but we're gonna read it, and then I'll explain that. It says, and they waited for the moving of the waters, from time to time, an angel of the Lord would come down and stir up the waters. The first one into the pool after each such disturbance would be cured of whatever disease that they had. Now, the reason that verse four is not in the main text of the Bible is because it's thought that when John wrote this gospel, most people thought, knew where the, the uh, pool of Bethesda was, where the sheep gate was. They knew the context of this story, so there was no need for it. But as time passed, as the gospel spread out, People were now reading it, people like you and me who didn't grow up down the street from the Sheep Gate, who didn't know the context of this story. So some scribe who was copying this gospel decided to add that as a footnote so people would understand what's happening in this story. It gives us the context. And here's the context. This is like a wellness spa, if you will, in Jerusalem, which most scholars today think had an underground spring that would occasionally bubble up. And the thought back then was that when the water bubbled, an angel had come and dipped its wings in the water, and the first person who could get into the pool after the water had bubbled would be healed of whatever disease they had. So as you might guess, people came from far and wide to get to this pool, to stay around this pool so that the minute the water bubbled, they could be the first ones in. These were the sick people, the desperate people, the needy people, the outliers, the misfits, the, the marginalized, the people that most people had forgotten about. And they would wait day in and day out, just hoping beyond hope that not only today would the water bubble up, but that somehow they could be the first person into the pool. Let's go on in verse five. It says, one man was there who had been an invalid for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he had already been there a long time, he said to him, do you want to be healed? 
Now we're in the third week of our series this week on questions that Jesus asked to people. And that's our question today. Do you wanna be healed? Do you wanna be made whole? Do you wanna get well? It's, it's worded all those ways in different translations. And at first, at first glance, it seems like an odd kind of insensitive question. Like, why else would I be here, Jesus, if I didn't want to be healed? I'm not just working on my tan. You know, no disrespect, Jesus, but it seems like that's kind of a dumb question. And I know all about dumb questions. I'm the king of dumb questions. Just ask my wife. I ask them all the time. She'll call and say, hey, I'm lost. Can you help me get, navigate my way back home? And I start with, well, tell me where you're at. That never goes well. Uh, uh, Ken, uh, Ken Davis, who's an author, talks about being on an airplane once and sitting in the aisle seat um, at, the, at the gate, and he's sitting on his newspaper. And somebody across the aisle looks at him and says, hey, are you reading that? <laughs> and he looks over at him and he says, yes, as a matter of fact, I am. And he stood up and he turned the page and he sat back down. <laughs> But think about it, for 38 years, this man has been hanging out, waiting for healing, and Jesus asked this man, do you wanna be healed? Do you wanna get well? Why? Because Jesus knows there are people who don't wanna get well. There are people who don't wanna get better. My background's in counseling psychology. I can tell you people showed up all the time to my office that did not want to get well. They didn't wanna change because change is hard. We don't like change. And sometimes we would rather sit in the miserable life that we know than move into a future, no matter how much better it might be, that feels uncertain. Not everyone wants to get better. Some people are probably around this pool because a loved one brought them there. Maybe it was a spouse. Maybe it was a parent who said, you need to get to the pool because you need some help. Maybe some people were there because they were lonely or alone and they just wanted the company. Some may have been there because they wanted some sympathy. They just wanted people to pass by and feel sorry for them. And others may have been there because they just wanted some charity, some, you know, a handout from someone. And in some ways, this place is kind of like a church. This could be IBC, a place where we come together and we would think that we're all here because we want to get better. We want to be changed. We want whatever we're struggling with or suffering through to be touched by God and to be healed. But, and I may step on some toes here, I just wonder if we're really all here wanting to be changed. Because maybe some of you are here because you got drugged here by a loved one, by a dad who said, hey, it's Father's Day, you're coming to church with me. Some of you may be here because you just want some company. You're lonely or alone and you wanna be around other people. Some may be here because you want some sympathy. Others may be here because you're needing some charity. Whatever the reason, Jesus asked the question this morning, do you want to be healed? And notice the want to comes before the how to. We'll get to that in a minute, but we live in a world of how to. You can go to any bookstore and there's a whole section on how to, right? How to fix this, how to repair your marriage, how to you know, improve your finances. But you can have all of the knowledge the world has on how to, but if you don't have the want to, nothing's gonna change. And so Jesus says, do you want things to be different? Are you willing to do what it takes to change? Because that's a pretty good indicator of how bad you really wanna change. See, I can say all day long that I wanna be healed, but if I'm not willing to do what it takes to get there, I probably don't want it that bad. I can say all day long I want my gums to be healthy so that when I go to the dentist, my gums aren't bleeding. But I've kind of convinced myself if I just start flossing three days before my dentist appointment, it's all gonna be good. She's never gonna know, but she finds out every time. 
I can say I wanna be healthy, I'm gonna eat healthier, but if I'm not willing to give up my Etos diet, and I didn't say Ketos, I said Etos, as in Cheetos and burritos and taquitos, <laughs> nothing's gonna change. And I know there's things called vegetables out there, I'm not interested in those things. Maybe you say you wanna heal, be healed financially, to get out of debt. Are you willing to cut the credit cards up, to set the budget, to stick with it? Or you wanna be healed from that addiction or from that hangup? Are you willing to show up every week to a recovery meeting like we offer at this church on Thursday nights to, to commit to that, to be around a group of men and women who will hold you to account, who will support you through that? Maybe you want your marriage to improve or to work. Are you willing to invest what it takes to get professional counseling if that's what you need, to do the hard work of repairing that relationship? See, we can come up with a million excuses as to why we can't change, but often it just comes down to we don't wanna change because we wanna do what we wanna do. We don't want God or anyone else messing in our business and telling us what to do. And so it often comes down to a control issue. Are you willing to surrender? Because now you've gotten used to it. This has gotten kind of comfortable. This is the life that I know. And I've heard it said that you will never change what you're willing to tolerate. Pastor Greg, Craig Rochelle says it this way, until your desire for change becomes bigger than your disability, you will not start to find healing. And so Jesus asks, he asks this man, he asks everyone here today, do you want to be healed? It's a good question. What'd you bring into this place today that's broken, that's not working? It's painful. You're here. You showed up. Do you really want to do what it takes to change? And it's interesting because this guy's answer is kind of awkward, or as my kids would say, awkward. <laughs> because this seems to be a yes or no question, right? It seems like this guy would just say, yes, absolutely. But look at his answer. Sir, the invalid replied, I have no one to help me into the pool when the water is stirred. Well, I'm trying to get in. Someone else goes down ahead of me. Now, it almost makes you wanna go back and look at Jesus' question, right? Did Jesus just ask, why are you not the first person in the pool? No, that's not what Jesus asked. He asked, do you wanna be healed? And instead of just saying, yes, absolutely, this guy launches into his terrible tale. Jesus, just, just sit right back and you'll hear a tale, a tale of a faithful trip. Let me tell you, Jesus, why my life is so miserable. I'm here, I'm a victim. Uh, the guy cut in front of me, I can't get there. There's no hope for me. Please, just have some sympathy, Jesus. And many of us have our own terrible tale. You wanna know what's broken in my life? I can tell you what's broken, who broke it, how it got broken, where it got broken, and why it's still broken. But Jesus did not ask that question. And I think there's a reason that he didn't, a couple of reasons. Number one, he didn't ask the question because if you look back up in verse five, it says Jesus saw him lying there and he knew. Jesus already knows. He knows this man's tale. He knows he's been there for 38 years and he knew the pain and the heartache of each of those years, each month, each day, each hour, each second this man had suffered. And really the whole message could probably stop right there because some of you just need to hear that this morning to really let that sink in. Jesus knows your story. The God of the universe, he knows every detail, every hurt, every pain, every piece of it. it says in Psalms, God's, God, you keep track of all my sorrows. You have collected all my tears in your bottle. You have recorded each one in your book. Jesus knows. 
He sees you here today and you may feel like your wounds go so deep, your brokenness has lasted so long that nobody cares anymore, that nobody sees, that hope is slipping away and what you need to know is that everything can change for you today, not because you're here in a church, not because you found your way to the pool, but because Jesus has come here and Jesus has shown up and he knows what you're going through and dealing with and struggling against. He is the God who sees. It's one of his names in the Old Testament, El Royai, the God who sees, the God who saw Hagar back in Genesis, the God who saw this man walking among the desperate around the pool of Bethesda, he sees you here today and he knows your story. He knows your vulnerabilities and your weakness and your pain, the pain that no one else knows about, he sees. Think about it. Jesus could have been a thousand other places. This was the time of the festival. He could have been out celebrating with those around this feast, but instead we find himself walk, we find him walking among the wounded. And he seeks out this man. This man didn't go looking for Jesus. This man didn't even ask Jesus to be healed. There's nothing in the scripture here that talks about this man's great faith. Jesus goes and seeks out this man and brings healing simply because of his kindness and his goodness and his mercy. And I would argue if that was the end of this story, this would be a story worth telling. That's all we need to know. This is the gospel, that our God came and he lived among us and he walked among the places of our pain and our woundedness. And just the fact that he showed up makes this story spectacular because every other religion talks about what we have to go through and what we have to do to get to God. Christianity is the only religion that talks about what God had to go through and what God did to get to us. Jesus knew this man's story. He didn't have to ask. But I also wonder if he didn't ask this man about his tale because he knows it's our tendency to get lost in and stuck in our terrible tales. I think one of Satan's biggest strategies to keep you from living the life that God has for you is for you to get stuck and fixated on your terrible tale, on the pains from your past. And I don't wanna minimize those in any way. I know that they're real and I know that they're really painful. But God is here and he wants to do something new in your life. Isaiah 43 says, behold, I'm doing a new thing. Now it springs forth. Don't you perceive it? It's why Paul, who went through more angst and heartache than most of us could ever even think about, would write, hey, I focus on this one thing, forgetting what's past and looking forward to what lies ahead. I press on to reach the end of the race and receive the heavenly prize for which God through Christ Jesus is calling us. And so let me just say this as gently and lovingly as I can. For some of you, it is time to let go of it to let go of your terrible tale, to quit rehearsing it and playing it over in your mind. It's like you have it on repeat in your life playlist. It's time to move on and you may need professional help to do that and if that's the case, do it, go get it because God is here and he wants to write a new chapter in your story. But if you get stuck in your past, you will miss out on the future that God has for you. He wants to write a chapter of hope and healing and restoration and so Jesus almost seems to just sidestep this man's litany of explanation and excuse as to why he, he can't get to the pool. And he begins to turn the page and start the new chapter for this man who thought that his life was over. This is the really good part of this story. Don't miss this. This is the critical moment of this story. What will Jesus say to this man who has lost all hope? This man who thought his life would never change. Look at it. Verse eight. Then Jesus said to him, get up, pick up your mat and walk. Get up, pick up your mat 
and walk. Get up. In other words, the first thing he asked this man to do is what this man hasn't been able to do for 38 years. It seems like an impossible task. And yet, what this man's about to discover is that with the power of Jesus, that he can do it. And we have that same power now living inside of us. It's what Romans 8 talks about, that the same power that raised Jesus from the dead now lives inside of us. So when you get to the point where you are ready to be made whole, God may ask you to do something that seems impossible. And in and of yourself, it probably is. But now you have the power of God living inside of you. And with that power, Jesus says, get up. This is about trusting Jesus for who he is, believing that all things are possible when God is in the equation. God will always start by asking you to step out in faith, to trust him, to surrender your will to his completely, to die to yourself, to give up control. Always the first step. You think about it. Abraham, he said, I want you to leave your homeland and head to a land that you don't know. To Moses, he said, I want you to cross the Red Sea. To Joshua, he said, I want you to march around Jericho. To Noah, he said, I want you to build an ark. And these are the heroes of our faith. Not because they were perfect. They messed up in spectacular ways. But just what set them apart is that God asked them to step out and do something that seemed impossible. And they just took God at his word. And so my question is, Will we do the same? Because I just have to believe God has been asking some of you some pretty impossible things, things that seem like to you, there's no way I could do that, to let go of that, to move out from there, to move back into there, maybe to get rid of that, to make that call, to ask that person for forgiveness, to forgive that person that hurt you so deeply, and you've been resisting and arguing and giving your best explanation to you know, and to God and to anybody else that will listen about why your life isn't working, why you can't get to the pool. Well, maybe it's just time to surrender, to do what he says, get up. I know it seems impossible. I know you seem to, you feel defeated. I know you've been here for a long time, but I'm here now, Jesus says. Things have changed. Get up and know that in my power and in my strength, we can get past this together. And then he says, pick up your mat. He removes all possibilities to, for a relapse. In other words, you're not coming back here. You don't need that mat anymore. See, our tendency is to always have that plan B right there. Just in case God's plan doesn't work, I'll come back to my mat where I know things are familiar. That's why I have a section of my closet still with double XL shirts. Just in case I gain that weight back, I have the shirts that I can go back to. And Jesus says, no, burn those bridges. Do whatever it takes Go home if you need to and throw out that alcohol or open the refrigerator, get rid of the sweets. Move out from that live-in situation that you know is not honoring to God. Let someone know the new stand that you're taking so that they can hold you to it. Do whatever it takes because Jesus is saying something so important to people who want true healing. Do not make any provision to go back to your old way of life. And then he says, walk. Walk. Do the hard work. Daily, this isn't a one-time thing. If Jesus gives you the power to rise, he is the one who can give you the power to walk every day, to keep going, to step away from the familiar, one step and then another step and then another step, just you and him. Your eyes aren't to be on the people around you, on your parents, on your, on your spouse, whoever. Your eyes are to stay fixed on Jesus. It's why the writer of Hebrews says, let us run the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. Get up, pick up your mat and walk. 
And then it says, verse nine, at once the man was cured. He picked up his mat and he walked. One moment in the presence of Jesus changed everything for this man and he can do the same for you. You skip down to verse 17 and the religious leaders were all up in arms because Jesus had done this healing on the Sabbath and I love his response to them. He said, look, my father is always at his work to this very day and I too am working. Now, as we close, I just think what a great reminder that is for us. Today, here in Irving, Texas, in 2023, God is still at work. He's at work in this world, even when it feels like it's out of control, and he's at work in your world. In whatever circumstance you find yourself in, he knows about it. He sees you in it, and he's ready to bring healing and wholeness. This morning, he walks around the colonnades of this room of this place that we call IBC, looking for those that he can bring healing to. Second Chronicles says, the eyes of the Lord go around to and fro in all the earth, looking for people who are faithful to him so that he can make them strong. My fear, though, is that some of us have just gotten used to lying by the pool, resigned to the notion that this is as good as my life is ever gonna get. Nothing's ever gonna change for me. And you know about Jesus, you've heard about Jesus, maybe you even believe there was a man that lived named Jesus, but you've never surrendered your life and your will to him. And so you just sit on your mat and you stare at the pool and all the while your life is crumbling around you. Do you want to be healed? Because today can be your day. Jesus is here. He says, get up. Surrender. You can walk out of here healed and whole today, but you gotta respond. You gotta take that step. And so that's what we're gonna do right now. We have an opportunity right now to respond to this God. And it may mean for you sitting where you're at processing what you've just heard or maybe coming and lighting a candle to to signify something that God's doing in your life right now. Perhaps you need to come and have a member of our prayer team pray with you or for you. Perhaps you're ready to make that first step of faith. If that's you, we would love nothing more than to pray with you about that, to walk you through that. And then we have the opportunity to respond by coming to the Lord's table. So I'm gonna invite the men and women who help serve uh, to come on down now. We have a gluten-free table over here that has the white tablecloth on it. It's open to everyone, but if you need gluten-free, you might wanna make your way over here. We have prepackaged elements on both sides of the auditorium. If you're not able to navigate the stairs, just raise your hand. Somebody would love to come serve you where you're at. Uh, We will start on the left side of each table and go this way. You won't be released by rows. You just come when you're ready. But on the night he was betrayed, Jesus took the bread and he broke it. And he said, this is my body, it's broken for you. Take this, eat it, and remember me. And then he took the cup and he said, this is my blood, it represents the new covenant that I'm making with you, that I am coming back for you one day, and I will bring healing and wholeness to the entire world. But until then, every time you eat and drink of this, you are proclaiming the gospel. So let's respond now.